0: Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Summer Family Bible Conference. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. All right, for those of you that maybe this is your first time, I've been talking about how God created us for success. He's never made a failure. God wants us to succeed, and we've been talking about how to succeed, and about the first three or four times, I basically was trying to counter what the world calls success. By the world's definition, success is fame, prosperity, big, or whatever. But I've tried to use Romans 12, 1 and 2 to define uh, success is knowing God and then just doing whatever He tells you to do. And God doesn't tell everybody to be on television. God doesn't tell everybody to do what I'm doing or to do what somebody else is doing. And man, I spent a lot of time talking about small people who were big successes. I spent some time talking about Nebuchadnezzar, probably one of the greatest or, you know, most successful men in the world's standards that the world has ever known. And yet, man, he was one of the greatest failures and became an animal and ate grass for seven years. And uh, we've talked about all that. This morning I started talking about. Even though I've tried to get you to where you don't necessarily just look for grandiose things that have fame and prestige associated with it. It's all centered around your relationship with the Lord. This morning I started talking about that you do have to dream big. And we started talking about imagination. And your imagination is absolutely essential for you to be a success and to accomplish what God wants you to do. And I used a number of examples. I used a lot of personal testimonies. 2002 is when the Lord spoke to me about how I was thinking too small. And man, the things that have happened in my life in ministry since 2002, for anybody who's paying attention, it really validates the points I was making this morning because God has just revolutionized me and everything I'm doing. And I'm telling you that this is what happened. I was limiting God by my small thinking. And so I changed things and I started using my imagination. So we laid a groundwork for that this morning. I'm gonna go through a little bit more detail tonight. I just wanted to show you, I got 20 pages here of a file that's off my computer. And this is my study notes on imagination. And so there's no way I'm gonna cover all of this tonight. I'd be doing good to cover half a page. But this is a huge, huge topic. And it's amazing how most people Don't think this way. Matter of fact, there are religious people that will think somehow or another you're getting weird if you're talking about meditating on the word and letting God give you a vision and show you and use your imagination. Some people think this is weird. And yet I I used a lot of examples this morning to show you that all of us use our imagination. Let me just use one passage of scripture over here out of uh, Romans chapter one, verse 20. You know, that album that I advertised tonight, uh, that was on the four keys to staying full of God that is taken from Romans chapter one, verse 20. And let me just read this verse to you. It says for they, um, excuse me, it's verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him, not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened and I'm not going to teach on this tonight, but this is a progression of things. And if you don't glorify God, which there's a great teaching on what that means, if you aren't thankful and praise God for the good things He's done, then your imagination just automatically becomes vain. That doesn't mean it it doesn't work, but it starts working against you instead of for you. Your imagination... It it determines what happens in your life. You can't go anywhere or do anything that you haven't imagined. And again, I tried to make a point of that this morning. I'm not gonna go back over all that, but you know, Gary Erickson over here, we've talked about this a little bit. When you build a building, when we were talking about this, I remember when we sat down and started talking about what do we want this to look like? And I had an idea what it looked like. And I would say, I want a clear story. And I want beams, wooden beams. And we want beams and rock. And we knew pretty much what we wanted. And he and the architect, they sat down and they started drawing. And you know what we were doing? We were working with our imagination. And then when he built, we can't just sit there and talk. And he comes in here and builds this building. You know what they do? They build plans. And you have to look at those blueprints. And if you can't see it, you can't build it. This is so simple, but I tell you, most people have this resistance to talking about an imagination like that. This is, you know, not exactly normal. You, you use this all the time. Gary could not do his business if he didn't have an imagination and if he couldn't look at a set of plans and see what this is talking about and see these things. You know, I built this little deck out at my house and uh, it wasn't very good. I'm not a builder, but nonetheless, I just had this bare ground out there. And you know what I did? I put a five-gallon bucket, turned it upside down. And I bet you I spent two or three days sitting there looking at that ground. Jamie even asked me one time, what are you doing? (laughs) I was looking to see what I wanted. I had a three-tiered deck. And I had to imagine how many supports do I need? How far apart do they need to be and, you know, the level of the land. And I had to sit there and think about it for two or three days before I could build that thing. And that's your imagination. This is the reason that when you get instructions, they, don't, they aren't just written instructions. They'll nearly always have a figure A, a figure one. They'll show you a picture. You know, we have the saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. And that's because you think in pictures. You think in your imagination. So. You can't just say, well, I'm not gonna do what Andrew's talking about. You, you imagine all of the time. And if you don't uh, understand this and begin to harness the power of the imagination and use it correctly, it'll still work. It'll just work against you. And what will happen is a doctor will tell you, you're gonna die and all of a sudden you see yourself dying. You start imagining your funeral. You start imagining based on what you've heard from other people, the pain and the travail and you see yourself wasting away and wondering, what is my family That's your imagination. And if you don't harness it, if you don't understand the power of this, it'll still work. It'll just work against you. It'll become a vain imagination is what this is describing. So you can't not imagine. You imagine whether you know you do it or not. You just have to harness the power of it. Look over here in Genesis uh, chapter nine, I believe it is. Let me look this up. Excuse me, it's Genesis chapter 11. And this is when the Lord came down to see the Tower of Babel and see what the men were doing. And it says in Genesis chapter 11, verse 5, it says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language and this they begin to do and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Man, that is quite a statement. And I could spend a lot of time on this. I'm wanting to get on to some other things. So I pray that you will just let the Lord speak this to you and get the importance of it. But God was challenged, His plans for mankind were challenged by our imagination. And God had to do something to limit imagination or nothing that men have imagined would have been restrained unto them. Well, the way that the Lord spoke this is significant. Your imagination, like I was using this morning, this Hebrew word, Y-E-S-E-R-R, some of the Greek and Hebrews will uh, have it Y-E-T-S-E-R, but it means conception. Your imagination is where you conceive things in the same way as children don't come by the stork. I'm not gonna teach you on that, but hopefully everybody understands this principle. You don't get pregnant by standing close to somebody who is pregnant or drinking the water after them. There, you have to conceive Children, you have to conceive miracles. You have to conceive the power of God in your imagination. That's what the word literally means is conception. And your imagination is where you conceive everything. And the Lord said that because of the unity that existed among people, God's plans for the human race would have been thwarted. And he literally had to divide the tongues of people and separate them to limit their imagination. I firmly believe, and some of you may not agree with this, and you're entitled to your opinion, but I wouldn't agree with you or we'd both be wrong. Amen. But I'm telling you, I believe that if you can imagine it, you can do it. I really believe that. I'm not going to go into detail. I've, I've, I dream big. I've, I imagine all kinds of things. I believe the Lord showed me what causes gravity. I believe I can create gravity. And if you could do that, you could do all kinds of things. You could make things levitate. They can already do this, but they don't know exactly how it happens. But you, I believe that these things, you know, like a flying saucer, hacking I can just hover, I can see, I, I, under, I have a little bit of understanding about how that happens. I believe that we can do stuff like that. I believe it will happen. Those of you that are Trekkies, you know, they used to come out many years ago with uh, replicators. You just go and talk to the computer and it makes something did you know that they now have 3D printers? That's actually becoming a reality. And I saw a thing on the internet where they took a, a big old monkey wrench that was, I don't know, this big and put it in there, took a picture of it and that thing printed one. And in just a few minutes, you could move the adjustments on it and they, they undid a bolt with it and they printed a monkey wrench. It's amazing the things. And you know, like our cell phones and stuff, people never even dreamed of this before and that's the reason they didn't do it. But I'm telling you, if you can dream it, there is a way to get it done. I honestly believe that. And it may take a cumulative effect of, of, you know, many people coming together, but I believe that when the Lord saw this, these people were dreaming of doing things that He didn't want them to do and He had to do something to limit their imagination. And what did he do to hinder your imagination? Confused the tongue so that you couldn't speak. Words paint pictures. Words create images. Words present visions. And I'm telling you, the Lord knew exactly what he was doing. He hindered their imagination by getting them to where they couldn't communicate with one another. Man, there is a huge message here that I'm, I'm wanting to go on to some other things, but this is big. And most of us just don't understand this. Here's some of the negative side effects of this is that today we are listening to words that are painting pictures that you should never, ever, ever conceive in your life. And yet the average Christian doesn't understand what we're talking about. And so they'll sit there and listen to country and Western music. And whether you like the style of music or not isn't the issue, but those words will kill you. And they paint pictures of adultery and lust and all of these kind of things. And you think on things that you say, oh, I'll never do it. But if you think on it, it begins to start conceiving something. And most Christians, in a sense, are having intercourse with the world and allowing pictures and images to be formed on the inside of them that they never want to act out. But they don't understand that if you think it, you are conceiving it. And then you're going to have to have the equivalent of a spiritual abortion, a miscarriage to keep from delivering that thing. The better way, the way that God told us to be, He said to be wise concerning that which is good, and simple concerning that which is evil. The word simple there in Romans 16 is literally talking about retarded. Simpleton is what the word means. You are supposed to be uh, spiritually handicapped when it comes to evil. You aren't supposed to know. The scripture says we shouldn't even talk about the things that they do in evil. And yet we pipe it into our home and you watch lying, adultery, lust, fornication. Even if you can find a relatively decent show that doesn't depict sexual acts, they will have people living together that aren't married and they present that as just a common thing. And you know what? In your imagination, you hear these things, you conceive it and you lose your aversion to those things. And many people go ahead and act it out. But you, you have to know these things. Man, I'm really wanting to get on, but I've got to say this. This is a perfect place to say this. Romans chapter um, 11. Let me just read this passage to you. I really was wanting to say some other things and I'm, I'm trying to get there, but this is so important. This is one of the most important things that I feel God ever showed me. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 15. What did I say? Hebrews, why did you turn to Romans? (laughs) See, God confused my language so that you couldn't. No, I'm not gonna blame that on God. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 15. It's talking about Abraham and it says, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Most people don't have that underlined in their Bible, but this is one of the greatest truths in the Word of God. He's talking about Abraham and Sarah, how they left, and for, I don't know, but at least 26 years, possibly many, many more, they just stood on what God had said, and they never did see the promise come to pass. You know, some of us get tired if you pray for healing. If you came to this meeting expecting to be healed and if you leave tomorrow and aren't healed, you're just ready to quit and give up. Imagine what it'd be like to believe for something for 26 years and not have any positive effect of that. Most people give up. How were Abraham and Sarah able to maintain their faith and not waver in their faith? It says, if they had been mindful, That's talking about your mind full of the country that they left, they would have had opportunity to return. Their opportunity to return or to disobey God, or you could say sin and go against what God told them was linked to what they think. And out of this verse, the Lord spoke to me and said, you cannot be tempted with anything you don't think. And I can verify this by other scriptures, but this is exactly what this is saying. Therefore, if you want to stop sinning, if you want to stop failure in your life, quit thinking on sin and failure. And if you don't think on it, you can't go anywhere in your body that you haven't already been in your mind, specifically your imagination. That's better than what you think. I know some of you think, well, that's not so. It is so. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. Be transformed, Romans 12, 2, by the renewing of your mind. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. They became vain in their imaginations. That's Ephesians 4, 18. And that word imagination there is the Greek word, dianoia, that in Luke 1, 51 was translated understanding and imagination. It's talking about in your imagination. And if you can't imagine it, if you don't focus on it, you can't be tempted with it. You know, I was raised in a really sheltered environment. I was born again when I was eight years old. And my brother and sister were raised in the same home and yet they had trouble. And so I don't know that it was totally my environment. It might've just, I don't know what it was, but anyway, I just, I never rebelled at the Lord. I never went against the Lord. I didn't like the stuff that friends of mine got into. And I just was focused on the Lord since I've been a little tiny kid. And you know, I heard about homosexuality. I heard about, um, uh, you know, prostitutes and things like this, but it wasn't for me. And I just never thought on it. I never watched anything about it. I remember my brother had a bunch of Playboy magazines and I found them under his mattress and I burned them all. He liked to beat me to death for it. <laughs> but man, I you know, wasn't gonna tolerate that stuff. And, and anyway, I knew about these things. I'd heard about them, but it wasn't for me. And so I never focused on it. I never thought about it. And did you know when I was 18 years old, my mother took me on a trip to Europe and stuff to, this is right after I had this miraculous encounter with the Lord and she thought I had just lost it. I'd gone off the deep end. So we went on a Baptist tour to go hear Billy Graham in Bern, Switzerland, and we toured all over Europe. And she sicked these two Baptist pastors on me that for three weeks tried to tell me I was crazy and talked me out of this whole thing. But anyway, with the very first night of this tour, we went to New York City. And I was staying with a bunch of guys and my mother was with some other ladies in another hotel and stuff. And anyway, man, when I, I was a hick from Texas and I'd never been to New York City and we were right down on Times Square and I was just shocked. I was walking around looking thing, and I, I had heard Nikki Cruz's testimony, but you know what? It wasn't for me and I didn't think about it. And honestly, I was so naive that at two o'clock in the morning, I was walking down the streets and I walked down alleys and I'd see gangs there with their hair spiked and black and all of these things on and they'd be in alleys and at two o'clock in the morning, I'd walk up and just think, great, man, here's a crowd to preach to and I'd hand them all out tracks and just witness to all of them. I had no idea of the danger because I didn't think about it because I never even thought about it. You know what? I never had any fear. You couldn't have fear if you hadn't already thought about it. Now, maybe you need to think about it a little bit more than I did, but (laughs) I'm saying that because I'd never thought on that, I had no fear. And I walked up to these gang members and stuff. And I remember on 42nd and Broadway, there must've been a hundred prostitutes lined up, leaning up against the wall. And it never dawned on me what they were. (laughs) I just thought this is awesome. And I passed them every one a track and I preached to every one of them and emptied the entire street. They all left. (laughs) And I had a a pimp come up to me and try and sell me one of his girls. And he was using this language that I wasn't familiar with. I didn't know what he was talking about. And I kept saying, what, (laughs) what? And after a few minutes, this guy just, I remember him walking off, throwing his hands up like this and shaking his head. And he just walked off and I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. And I went back to the hotel and told these guys that I was with what this guy was saying. And they had to explain to me what he was offering me. And then I felt embarrassed. But my point is, (laughs) guess what? I wasn't tempted. If you can't think it, You can't be tempted with it. You know why some of you are so tempted with lust and sexual problems? Because you look at magazines, you watch shows that depict it and you've been there in your mind, whether you've ever been there in your body. If you wouldn't think on that stuff, if you wouldn't watch stuff where people are scantily clad and where they use this provocative language and where they shack up with each other and if you didn't ever think that way, you would have zero draw towards it. You have already conceived it in your imagination. You cannot be tempted with something you don't think. Don't think on death when the doctor tells you you're gonna die. Take the word of God and start thinking on healing and you won't be tempted with fear and doubt and unbelief. All you can be tempted with is what you focus your attention on. Focus your attention on God and all you'll be tempted to do is have love, joy, and peace, abundant life, and all of the things that God promises It's literally that simple. I know some of you are thinking, this can't be so. Some of you are thinking, well, but you don't understand. I'm tough. I can handle it. That stuff doesn't bother me. I can watch a movie where there's nudity in it, where they're having a sexual relation outside of marriage. I can watch all these kind of things. It doesn't bother me. Well, I just have 1 Corinthians 15, 33 for you. It says, be not deceived, evil communication, corrupts good manners. If you say I can watch this and it doesn't affect me, you're deceived. Right. Some of you think, oh, no, I'm not. Well, the worst part about being deceived is you don't know it. <laughs> you are deceived. If you think that you can consider all of this stuff and it doesn't affect you. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, we live in a society that is super ungodly. They use sexual stuff to peddle toothpaste, to sell anything. You are being bombarded with sexual stuff all of the time. And not only immoral sexual stuff, but you are being bombarded with negative attitudes, a paradigm that is ungodly, it's humanistic, And just on and on and on and on it goes. We live in a super ungodly society. And I guarantee you, if you were plugged into all of the shows, if you know all of these things, even if you could watch something that is good, and there are a few things I've seen on television that are good. If you could find something that's good, the commercials will still kill you. If you're plugged into this world, if you watch all of the stuff, if you're up on all of the sports and stuff, I guarantee you, you are conceiving things on the inside of you that you should never conceive. So anyway, this is a powerful truth that you can't be tempted with anything that you can't think. Even more specifically, you can't be tempted with anything that you haven't already imagined. Your imagination is absolutely critical. And you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 11 and see that even God recognized the power of imagination. And I could literally take you, I've got 20 pages here worth of notes on imagination and things that I've I've studied this for years and years. And imagination is super powerful. But let me point this out, that every scripture in the Bible on imagination is negative except one. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 18 is the only positive scripture on imagination. And it's not really real positive, it's just not bad. David prayed and said, Lord, keep this forever in the thoughts of the imagination of their heart. And he related your imagination to your memory. This is how your memory functions. You can't remember anything you can't imagine. But outside of that one verse, every scripture on imagination is bad. Genesis chapter 6, the Lord says that the imagination of men's hearts are only evil continually. And it grieved him at his heart. And he repented that he had made man on the earth because of the way their imagination was. And I could go through many, many scriptures and every scripture on imagination is negative. Look at this one over in 2 Corinthians Chapter 10. This is New Testament. Old and New Testament, the scriptures on imagination are all negative, but it does talk about the power that your imagination has. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and in verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Did you know that your warfare, the thing that we're fighting against is imaginations. That's where the battle is. The battle's in your mind. It's right between your ears. It's the way you think. And our spiritual weapons cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So here again in the New Testament, your imagination is talking about is this is what we're warring against. Again, I could could just spend days on this. Some of you, I'm sure, still aren't quite relating to this. But when you have fear, it's because you are imagining failure. That's the only thing that causes you to fear. If you were like I was, where you didn't even think, you didn't think about gangs in Texas. We didn't have gangs. I wasn't afraid of that. You know what? I walked right into the midst of gangs at two o'clock in the morning in New York City and had zero fear because I had never imagined that people acted that way. And because of it, I had zero fear. You can't do anything that you haven't imagined and you are fighting against imagination. Your imagination will tell you, oh, you're thinking too big. You can't do that. And you limit yourself by your imagination. So if imagination is as important as all the things I'm describing, why doesn't the Bible talk about it in a positive way? You know, that was a question I had for years. And I just thought, God, how come if the imagination is as strong as what I'm seeing, then why doesn't the Bible talk about imagination in a positive way and cause you to use your imagination in a positive way? And then one day I was reading over here in Romans chapter 8. Let me turn over and read this. In Romans chapter 8, and in verse, um, it's talking about the animal creation, how that they were, made subject to vanity, not because of their personal sin, but God just subjected the entire animal creation under us in hope that the whole creation, us and the animal creation would be delivered in the um, new world. And he says in verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, that is the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope But hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that, we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And as I was reading that, I was thinking, God, what does this mean? That if we're saved by hope, but hope that is seen isn't hope. And I was meditating on this and trying to figure this out. And I got to thinking that, you know, hope is seeing something in your imagination that you can't see with your physical eyes. And here is what the Lord spoke to me through this. And I've got a lot of scriptures I could use to verify it. I hadn't got time tonight to go through them all. But the Bible calls a positive imagination, hope. Anytime you are using your imagination in a proper way, then it's talking about hope. That's what this is describing. Hope is simply the ability to see things good things, positive things that God has ordained over you with your imagination. And if you could see it with your eyes, then it's not hope anymore, then it's reality. Hope is seeing something with your heart, with your imagination that you can't see with your eyes and that is what imagination is. So you can take all of the scriptures in the Bible on hope and what this is talking about, it's talking about your imagination. For instance, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith gives substance to things hoped for. If you haven't hoped for it, if you haven't already seen it in your imagination, then faith doesn't have anything to produce substance of. It doesn't have anything to bring into reality. I heard Charles Capps one time use this illustration to describe the relationship between hope and faith. And he, he described this guy that came out of the backwoods. He had never been into you know, modern civilization and he went to a church meeting and it started getting hot. He was fanning himself and this usher walks up and uh, turns this little thermostat on the wall and within just seconds, he started feeling cool air. And man, he'd never seen or heard of air conditioning before. And he thought that was the slickest thing he'd ever seen. So as soon as the service was over, he went up to that usher and he says, what's that thing on the wall that you touched? And he says, what are you talking about? And he says, you turn that thing and I could feel cool air. And he says, well, that's the thermostat. And he says, can anybody have a thermostat? And he said, you can get a thermostat anywhere. You can go to a hardware store and buy a thermostat. So this guy on the way home, he stops and he buys a thermostat. And he goes home to his little shack and puts it on the wall. And when it starts getting hot, he turns the thermostat waiting on the cold air to come. But of course, the thermostat doesn't produce the cold air. The thermostat just controls the power unit that does produce the cold air. And it's that same relationship between hope and faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. It's faith that releases the power of God and appropriates what he's already done. But hope is how you activate faith. If you don't spend time with hope, with your imagination, seeing the things that God has spoken to you, seeing them come to pass. If you don't use your imagination to see yourself victorious, to see yourself accomplishing everything God has told you, then your faith won't kick in. But on the other hand, if you spend time on hope and you just see yourself the way that God has described you, it's automatic that your faith kicks in. It just automatically, faith begins to start bringing into existence what you see in your imagination. And this can work against us. Because if our imagination is vain, if the doctor told you you're gonna die, and if you start seeing yourself dead and planning your funeral, did you know that your faith starts moving you in that direction? You are actually releasing negative things. What I'm saying right here is more powerful than I think than what most of us realize. If we understood what I'm talking about, our lifestyle would change. We would do some things differently, but the lifestyle that most Christians live proves that we don't understand what we're talking about. And we allow ourselves to go places in our mind that you don't ever, ever, ever want to go. You know, I remember I went to a high school reunion. I don't even remember. I think it was my 20 year high school reunion. So that would have been, I'd graduated in 67. So that would have been 87. I went and Jamie wasn't with me at that. And anyway, I was visiting with all these old people and, and one of my old girlfriends came up and said hi to me. And anyway, I don't even remember what her name is right now. But anyway, she came up. And that night when I went back to my apartment or you know, hotel I was staying in, I just had this thought come. I wonder what it would have been like if I'd have married her instead of Jamie. And you know what? Within 10 seconds, I thought, what good would this do for me to think on this? And I thought, you know what? I can't see any good that would come out of this. I don't want to go there. I don't want to think this. I don't want to conceive anything. And man, I started praying in tongues and rejected those things. It didn't last me 10 seconds. And yet I guarantee you there's some of you that you've had things like that happen and you allow your mind just to go. You watch a movie and you see somebody who's just in love with their mate But then this young thing walks by and flirts with them and they didn't want it, but they, and you watch it and you allow yourself to be drawn in and you allow yourself to go there and to make a comparison. And then later on, all of a sudden, you're thinking of divorce. And you're like, well, I couldn't help it. No, you could help it. You have conceived it. You don't ever need to think on that stuff. Jamie and I, when we got married, my uncle Safi took me aside because my daddy had died when I was just 12 years old. And he took me aside and he said, boy, you're a Womack and Womacks don't get divorces. This isn't Sears and Roebuck. If you don't like her, you can't bring her back. That was his homespun way of telling me, you are stuck, you better make sure. And you know what, Jamie and I both had this perspective and we have never, ever, 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 ever thought of divorce. We would never speak divorce. We would never threaten divorce. We've thought of murder a couple of times, but not divorce really, not really. But I'm saying that, you know what? There are some of you that threaten each other with divorce and separation and then you wonder why you have these problems. You shouldn't never go there. You shouldn't ever use that as leverage. You shouldn't ever say that. If you understood what I was talking about, you would understand the damage that you've done by even conceiving it. You shouldn't ever think that way. You shouldn't ever do this stuff, and yet most of us don't understand this at all. We just are trying to stop the action of sin, but we don't have any responsibility for the conception. That's really not any different than a woman who goes around and sleeps around with a different person every night, but she's not going to have a child. She's on birth control. She'll do abortion. She'll do whatever. And she thinks that that's all that matters. No, the birth is just the result of what you've already done. If you don't want to have a child, you you refuse to have physical relationships and I guarantee you, you will not be the second virgin to ever conceive. I can guarantee it. That's the way to stop those things. Amen. And it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. If you would control this mind and imagination, you could control lust. You could control sin. You know, all I do is just seek the Lord and meditate on the Lord. This is one reason that people come to a conference like this. And you know what? You, God is the same all the time. He's not different at a conference than He is any other time. And yet people will receive from God at a conference like they won't receive from God any other time. You can see this with children. You send children to a, a camp And they will be touched by the Lord and they will have experiences. And sometimes people think, well, that was just emotional because it very seldom lasts. But they will have experiences where God touched them. They make commitments to the Lord at church camp that they don't ever make any place else. And people wonder, why does that happen? You know why it happens? Because you are in a situation where you are just being dominated and controlled with somebody talking about the Lord and talking about godly things instead of watching the evening news, listening to all of the rape, murder, plunder, lust, greed, and things, watching these terrible movies and stuff. And it doesn't take very long. Four or five days just saturated in the presence of God and your heart begins to change. Your imagination begins to start thinking on different things. And it's not that God changes, it's that you change. And the sad thing is most people will leave a conference like this. You'll be touched. God will do something and you can't wait to get back home and get into your routine and go look at all of the shows that you've t and just drown yourself in doubt and unbelief and wash all this down and start conceiving different stuff. Amen or O-me? I'm telling you, this is powerful stuff. And if you're going to succeed... You are going to have to unplug from this world. You're going to have to plug into the Word of God. You're going to have to take the things that He's speaking to you, and you are going to have to start using your imagination to see these things come to pass. That is powerful, and that's what hope is. Hope, when you start hoping for something, your faith just kicks in like that, and you will start coming up with ways of how that can work. You know, one time Jamie and I needed a new car. We were getting pretty desperate, but we weren't financially able to really get one. But, you know, we thought, well, it was just practical wisdom to go look and start making plans. So we were totally unemotional, unattached to a new car. What we had was fine, but we were getting to a place where we needed one. And we thought we're going to go down and look at one. So we went down to a car dealer in Colorado Springs And this guy started trying to get me to do a test drive and stuff. And I said, no, we just wanted some information and stuff. And he wouldn't give me my information. He just kept, you need to sit in here, feel this, smell this new car. Doesn't this feel good? And then he says, driving around the block. And you know why they do that stuff? They want you to see yourself in that new car they want your senses to be involved, to smell that smell versus the old weak old French fries or whatever. <laughs> and they want you to get in there and get your senses involved. And you know what it does? All of a sudden, you see yourself in there. And he didn't give us hardly any facts. He didn't tell us the warranty. He did, All of the stuff that we went for, we never got, but he got me in that car and I drove it around the block. And did you know, by the time we got home, I stayed up half of the night trying to think, how can I get this? How could we do this? How could we come down with enough money? And my faith just started working. My imagination was working and that's what they do. This is how they prey on you. This is how they sell things on television. When they sell beer, They don't show you the drunk lion in the gutter that's puked all over himself and his family's left him and he's divorced. They don't show you what it really does. They show you these beautiful horses going through and they get to where they associate some positive imagination. Why do they they go to all of this expense and show you this beautiful mountain water and all of these things? They want your imagination. Every time you see those things to relate it to their product. If they were going to be honest, they'd show you the drunk. They'd show you broken homes. They'd show you all of these other kind of things, but they don't want you to imagine that. They don't want you to see that associated with their product. It's all—all all advertising is dealing with your imagination. And I tell you, if you ever see yourself the way they try and get you to see yourself, your faith will go to work and about how can I do this? How can it come to pass? It just automatically works. And if we would take the word of God and start meditating, meditating is where you just go over and over and over something in your mind until it forms a mental picture, a mental image, and you see it. And if we would start meditating and then use this imagination to where hope comes, if you could ever hope that you're healed, see yourself healed, see yourself prosper, see yourself succeeding, then I guarantee you it'd come to pass. You know, many, many years ago, we in in the very first year, I think, of our school, we had a woman who had gone through the depression and she had been just terribly oppressed during the depression. And uh, because of it, her husband was a professor and he had a good job and they had money But she was so fearful, she had seen people nearly starving to death and all of this stuff that she was afraid it would happen to her again. And this woman would take every jelly jar and, I mean, scrape the last little bit out of it and then put water in it and turn it upside down and drain it out. She took all of the bars of soap and when they got so small, she would... Uh, save them up and then put them all together and melt them down and save the wrappers and make new bars so that she got every last one. She used triple coupons, which there's nothing wrong with any of these things I'm talking about, but she would go across town and spend $5 on gas to go save triple coupons on a 30 cent coupon. She had a poverty mentality. And yet we taught on prosperity. This woman understood the mechanics of it. She could quote the scriptures but she saw herself poor. She saw failure. She was afraid that there was going to be another great depression. And this woman, it didn't matter how much information she had, she never changed the image on the inside. And I talked to her about this many, many times. She dressed poor. She acted poor. Prosperity, once you see it in your heart your faith will begin to start bringing that into reality. But there are many of you praying for prosperity, but you think poor. You know what? I was raised relatively well off. My family was better off than any of my other friends and stuff. And so I didn't, I wasn't raised with a poverty mentality, but I was taught it in religion. And especially when it came to ministry, I thought that ministers were supposed to be poor you were supposed to be humble and that if a minister had something that you know that was just bad and anyway I had this bad stuff that formed a negative image on the inside of me and so personally I believed in prosperity but I was afraid to speak it and share it and I wouldn't allow myself to see myself prosperous because I'd been taught against it and this friend of mine Dean Melton Pastor Darian Karen that's Karen's brother He pastors a church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he lives in a house It's 700 square feet, isn't it? It's a house that he bought in 1955 for how much money? $2,500. A 700 square foot house costs $2,500. He's never driven a new car. He wouldn't drive a new car. I've bought him a car and I nearly had to force it on him. And anyway, but... He uses his money to bless people and his church does more. You have 200 or so probably average in their church goes up and down, but they spend, I mean, they send money. Franklin Graham gets nearly all of his medical supplies through them. They send stuff all over the world. They send out hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've been at his church when this one guy got out of prison. And he had nothing. He came straight from prison and was released to Pastor Dean. And Pastor Dean took him. And within one year, I came back the next year, this guy was making like $10,000 a week or something. And I mean, he was a dope addict and had nothing going for him. But Pastor Dean teaches people and the people in his church prosper. It is absolutely phenomenal. And I've been going there for 26 years. And after a number of years going there and seeing these people who were You know, in the world's way of looking at it, they were the people that could never succeed. They were gonna be on the dole their entire life. And I mean, in a very short period of time, every one of them was super prosperous. So he came to our Bible school back about the second year of the Bible school. And man, I just shut everything down. I went in and listened to him for two days, three hours a day. I was gonna learn what this man knew about prosperity. And I took a pad of paper and a pen, and I was going to write down everything. I was going to figure out because I saw prosperity in that man that I had never seen in anybody else. He, he lives off the 10% and gives 90% to the church and doesn't take a salary from the church. He gets all of his income through his own stuff and he gives 90% away. And I was going to learn what, he's, what he knew. And I sat there for two days and I never took one note He didn't say one thing that I didn't already know. I knew everything that Pastor Dean knew. But you know the difference was? He believed it. He saw himself prosperous. Pastor Dean's the one I heard say that there is no shortage of money. There is no shortage of money. You know, if if somebody was to walk here tonight and say, for a thousand dollars, I can get you health care or I can do something that you, I guarantee every person in here would come up with the money. You got money, it's just priorities. There's no shortage of money. And anyway, what I learned through that was I wasn't seeing myself prosperous. I knew the exact same scriptures, but I had never seen myself prosperous. And did you know something happened on the inside of me? That was about 96 or 97. And I started seeing myself prosperous. I changed my attitude. It was an attitude change. It wasn't a knowledge change. I didn't gain any new knowledge, but I started seeing myself differently. And the very next week I went to hold a meeting and I'd been holding these meetings where I'd invite Charlie and Jill to come do the music and I'd have one or two other speakers. And by the time you paid the rent, on the uh, facility and the travel expense and gave an honorarium and did everything. It cost nearly $10,000 is what it cost for this three-day meeting. And I mean, I'd done this for years and I would receive offerings that were like $9,995. I'd be within $5 of breaking even or sometimes I'd make five or $10 off of the meeting. And it had been that way for 10 years. After I got that revelation, after I saw it in my heart, once I conceived it in my imagination, the next week I went out and I didn't do one thing different. I did the exact same thing, gave the exact same offering talk, and we started receiving 25 and 30 and 35,000 and 40,000 and making $20,000, $30,000 profit and everything changed because of the way I saw things. And I know some of you are thinking that's not true. It is true. Your life is the way you see it being. And some of you don't like that because you say, man, I resent that. I did not see this coming. I did not want this. But you really did. It may not be that you saw yourself having cancer. It's not like you sat down and imagined cancer, but you did imagine yourself being only human. You did see yourself as, well, you know, cancer is incurable and who am I? You were seeing yourself incorrectly. If you would have seen yourself the way that God sees you to where no plague can come nigh my dwelling, nothing is going to touch me. I have victory over all of these things. I can say unto this mountain, be cast into the sea and it'll obey me. If you had seen yourself, if those things were established in you, you would have had victory over all that stuff. That doesn't mean that you wanted the necessarily the problem that you got, but you didn't see yourself properly and able to handle it. And it made you weaker than the problem that came against you. I'm telling you, the scripture says, as you think in your heart, So are you, Proverbs 23, 7. And whether you like that or not, the way you see yourself in your imagination is the way your life is. The only qualification I'd put on that is that some things it takes a process and it doesn't just happen instantly. And so some of you may be seeing yourself correctly, but you aren't seeing the full manifestation because it takes time for some of these things to come into fruition. But if you are seeing correctly, you are at least on your way. You are beginning to move in the right direction and you are seeing positive signs. A person who's, you know, I have people come to me and they're just destitute. I mean, their life is a total wreck. And they tell me how bad things are. They'll have 20 and 30 and 40 things wrong physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationships in just every area. And they come and present it to me like, This is terrible. Would you please help me? And I just want to say, why did you let this happen? And the average person, I I did that this morning with somebody that came forward who was telling me how bad it was. And I said, you know what? You don't even need to pray. You just need to fight. God has already done it. You've already got the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead on the inside of you. Why don't you reject some of this stuff and start fighting it instead of accepting it? And you could tell it was like a startling thought to them but they don't see themselves superior. Most people come to me and present their problem in a way that tries to solicit pity. Please help me. And instead, it solicits anger in me because it shows that this person sees themselves inferior to these things that God says He's given us victory over. Some people say, well, you aren't very compassionate. Sometimes the best, most compassionate thing you can do is just say, bend over and let me give you a good swift kick in the rear. Grab hold of yourself and recognize that God made you a victor. Man, we are the king's kid and we're living like beggars and we come before God begging and pleading for things that he's already done because you don't see yourself the way that God sees you. I'm telling you, if you want prosperity, you're gonna first of all have to see it on the inside before you see it on the outside. Did you know some of the the best things that some of you can do to help your prosperity is go out and just rebel at your poverty mentality. Go out to eat and buy the most expensive thing on the menu. Now, I'm not saying you do that every time. There's wisdom to use, but I'm saying, you know what? You need to break some barriers. You know, Jamie and I took Dan Funkhauser. Some of our students know who Dan Funkhauser is. He's one of our instructors here in the school. He used to pastor in Green Mountain Falls. And Dan Funkhauser and I are both, that we used to be just as tight as we could possibly be. I had never spent over $5 on a meal in my life, probably. But anyway, we started going to Dan's church and I wanted to go visit with him. So man, I was gonna spring and take him out to a nice place to eat. And we went to this restaurant that was like $20 a person. And Dan and Penny had two kids and Jamie and I had two kids. So there was eight of us times 20. It was like 160. That was a month's income for me. And we were there. And when I saw those prices, I nearly choked. (laughs) Jamie was kicking me under the table like, don't you dare say anything. And... And anyway, I just swallowed and I went out and bought the meal. And I thought, oh man, I'll never do that again. But you know what? It broke a barrier with me. And later I found out that Dan was sitting here thinking the same thing, thinking, man, I can't believe Andrew's doing this. And Penny was kicking him, telling him, don't you dare say anything. But it broke a barrier in us. And you know what? Once you do that, it makes things different. Jamie and I were at Mont Saint-Michel in France, and we had this place where Eisenhower ate. And all of these people, and it was this, anyway, it's, it's an amazing place. If you've never seen Mont Saint-Michel, it's one of the seven wonders of the world. And we, we went into this restaurant where Eisenhower and all of these people ate. And I just wanted to eat there. Jamie wanted to go get a sandwich someplace else. And I said, Nope, we're going in here. I wanted to see the pictures on the wall that they had signed and everything. We got one omelet and split it in a bottle of water. And it cost us how much? $60. Man, it was expensive. But you know what? After you spend sixty dollars on one omelet, it just breaks some barriers on the inside of you. You go to looking at things differently, and now I can I can spend twenty or thirty dollars on a meal. Doesn't bother me and stuff. I'm saying sooner or later you got to see yourself breaking out of the mold that you're in. You got to do something. I'm not saying that you start doing things you know, without using wisdom and discretion and stuff. But I'm saying, if you know that you got a problem, do something to counter it. You know what? If you got a fear of flying, go fly. See yourself flying, fight that thing, overcome it. I prayed for a woman who was afraid of dirt and she just couldn't touch anything. She always had to be cleaning her hands and stuff. And she says, I'll, I want you to pray for me. And I said, are you going to act on the word? Oh yeah, I'll do anything. So I prayed for her and I got her down on her hands and knees and rubbed her hands on this carpet where people had been walking and she was crying, but I made her start doing <laughs> what she didn't feel like doing. You're going to have to see yourself differently. You're going to have to do something different. I'm telling you, your imagination is just important. It's important. And most of us aren't using it. And this whole thing was started by me talking about how to become a success. And you cannot succeed if you don't see yourself succeeding. If you see yourself failing, it'll become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You'll fail every time. And I don't care how much backing you've got, how much talent you've got, how much things are going your way, you will find a way to subvert the thing and you will fail if you see yourself failing. Or here's another way of saying, if you are fearful of failing, which is just your imagination working against you, you'll fail. Fear activates, it's like the opposite of faith. Fear releases the negative the same way that faith releases the supernatural power of God. And fear is nothing but imagination. You know, how do you get your imagination working? Well, I've mentioned it a couple of times, but it's basically by just meditating, focusing on something, going over and over and over and over and over it in your mind. Kenneth Hagin used to compare it to like a cow chewing its cud. You chew it and swallow it and spit it back up and go through it again. And you just chew that cud over and over and over until you get everything there is out of it. You just meditate. And some people think, I don't know how to meditate. Yeah, you do. Worry is meditation. Have you ever worried? Have you ever worried about anything? Worry is nothing but meditation. You're thinking on things that haven't happened yet, You're thinking about what could happen in a negative way and you just explore every possibility and think about every way that things could go wrong. What would happen if this happens? That's worry. And you know what? You can go to work and worry all day long and still do your job and worry all day long. Likewise, you can go to work and you can meditate all day long. There's probably somebody listening to me who thinks, you know what? Some of us have to work. We aren't preachers. We can't sit around and daydream all day. (laughs) But you can go to work and worry all day. If you can worry all day, you can meditate all day. You could take a truth from God's word and just keep your mind on it and go over and over and over and over and over that thing and look at it from every angle and ask questions and think about it. This is how the word comes alive to people. You know, this is also why when we went to uh, Israel. We took a tour to Israel many years ago. Our UK group uh, put together a tour and we led that. And in Israel, people were just oohing and on and oh, the word's so alive. And they said, this is just life changing. And some of the people were just like, they were they were overwhelmed because I'm standing on the same spot that Jesus was. And they said, there's such an anointing. And these people were just having these epiphanies and It was making me sick. (laughs) And it got me to thinking about what goes on when people go to Israel? What is it about going to Israel that makes them seem to have a spiritual experience? And you know what it is? They imagine things so much better because now it's not vague. It's not just words that they've read on a page. They've seen these places. Like when we got out, you know, it was a hot day and they stopped at the Valley of Elah where David fought Goliath and it's about four miles across this valley and the Philistines were on the mountains on one side and the Israelites on the other side and there's this little brook that went in between. So anyway, we stopped on the side of the road in the tour bus. Nobody wanted to get out because it was hot. They said, does anybody want to get out? And I said, I do. And man, I got out and I walked that valley and walked right down to the stream. I got me five little stones out of that thing and I stood there and looked and imagined what would this have been like with hundreds of thousands of Philistines and then all of the Israelites hiding in caves. And I sat there and I saw Goliath and I saw David. You know, when I was a little kid, I went out and marked on a tree, nine foot six, which is what one commentary said Goliath was. And I marked what height that was. And then I stood in front of it and bent down because David probably wasn't but about five foot maximum. And I bent down and looked at that. You know, and what I was doing, it was helping me to imagine what David was seeing and what he thought. And if you will just not read a scripture, but if you will meditate on it and imagine what's it like, It comes alive. This is why when you go to Israel, everything comes alive because all of a sudden you can see these things. It helps your imagination. This is why television is such a powerful form of communication because it's not just words. Words are powerful because they paint pictures. But man, pictures with words are really powerful. And Television will capture your imagination. And that's why it's such, so captivating when we watch things. I tell you, I'm giving you a key right here to success. If you want to succeed, you're going to have to get into the Word of God and have God speak words to you that paint a picture. And then you're going to have to meditate on that picture until it becomes a hope. And once you see it, Once you've got it, nobody can take it from you. But if you just got a mental argument, if you just have facts up here, if somebody says, do you know anything about healing? Oh yeah, by stripes we were healed. You can quote the verse and give the address where it's located. But if you haven't meditated on it until you see yourself well, you you won't be well. This is just so simple, but it's profound. And I'm telling you, this is how it works. If you would... If you would go to the Lord and and take the scriptures like that, he's got a purpose for every single person's life. You were created on purpose. Jeremiah, before he was formed in his mother's belly, before he came forth out of his mother's womb, he was sanctified and ordained to be a prophet. And if you were to take these things and say, God's no respecter of persons, if that's the way it was with Jeremiah, if that's the way it was with Paul, that's the way it is with me. God's got a purpose. God, what's your purpose? You live Romans 12, one and two and you start seeking Him, and God will start giving you dreams, and you'll start thinking about things. And once you know that it's God leading you to do something, maybe He's leading you to start a business, to take a step of faith and venture out. Once you know that it's God, then meditate on that and see yourself succeeding. Don't just go rent any place. Meditate on it. Let God give you a vision of what place He wants you to have. See it. And then when you get there, you'll know it. You know, when we bought that other building, this is right when the Lord told me I was thinking too small and I started dreaming bigger. And I, and I even asked this friend of mine, Bob Nichols, I said, how am I gonna know when I get the right place? And he says, if you'll meditate on it, you'll see it. And then when you see it with your eyes, it'll match. And he says, you'll know it. And so that's what I did. And you know what? When we got that place at Elkton down there, I knew it was the right place because I'd seen it. And this is profound. We need to use what God has given us. Something that actually threatened God's kingdom, our imagination, must be powerful. We just need to begin to start using it in a positive way. And if you would use these things that we're talking about and begin to see yourself successful, meditate on this and form a mental image It would be powerful. Let me just issue one caution and then I'll quit. But the danger of what I'm talking about is people who see the power of your imagination and then you just start imagining whatever you want. And you imagined yourself with a new partner. You don't like the one you got. So you think you'll just imagine and you'll go to daydreaming about somebody else. Man, that'll get you in trouble in a hurry. The way you do this, it says, Psalms 37, four, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean he'll give you whatever you're lusting for. It means you delight yourself in the Lord. You make yourself a living sacrifice and your commitment to God is the first place in your life. And you go to seeking him and loving him. God will put his desires in your heart. He will have you start dreaming of things and He will start directing you through your imagination. Man, this has happened to me hundreds of times. I was committed to Seagoville, Texas. I was never going to leave there. I was going to stay and die there if I had to. I was committed to that place. Everybody told me to leave that place, and I wouldn't do it. And one day when I was praying, I just looked out the window, and I thought, this is the ugliest place I've ever been in my life. I think I gave that illustration earlier in the week. And God told me we had to move by November the 1st. I went home and for sale sign in our yard and our landlord told us we had to be out by November the 1st. And one of the ways God led me was by the desires of my heart. And I just lost my desire for it. I saw it differently and I started seeing other things. And God, this is how God led us into this. This is how God's leading me into all of these other things. I'm telling you, you've got a supernatural creative force that God put on the inside of you. Something that if you can dream it, you can do it. It's powerful. It is super powerful. We could give hundreds, thousands of examples of people even outside of God. This works for non-believers. Your imagination is your womb. It's your conception. It's how things work. It'll work for you or against you. It'll work for an unbeliever even. Not as well as it would work for a believer if you'll let the Holy Spirit inspire you but I'm saying even unbelievers have dreamed of doing things and they wind up doing it because they've seen it in their imagination. I've heard stories about millionaires. Most millionaires have, been, uh, have gone bust more than once. They've lost it, but the difference is they see themselves as a millionaire and they may be in a temporary situation where they don't have any money, but it doesn't matter. They see themselves differently and it's just a matter of time until what they see on the inside manifests itself on the outside. Likewise, if you see yourself as a failure, you could win the lottery and it's just a matter of time until you're back in the same financial situation you were before if you don't change. Statistically, I think it's 80% of people who win the lottery are worse off in uh, 10 years or something financially because they never changed the way they saw themselves and they will eventually, you will be the way that you see yourself as you think in your heart. That's the way that you are. So if you want to change, don't just go begging God and ask the prayer change to pray for you or come to a conference and want somebody to wave their hand over you and make it happen. Change the way you think. Meditate on what God says. See yourself with what God has told you to do and if you get a clear vision of that on the inside, there aren't enough demons in hell to stop it from coming to pass. It will come to pass. As you think in your heart, that's the way it will be. Isn't that awesome? If that's true, which it is, then you need to get to imagining some things. Amen? We saw a documentary on... Walt Disney not long ago. And you know what? I was so impressed. I don't have any clue about Walt Disney. I've heard that he did drugs. I don't know where, where he was with the Lord, but that man had an imagination. And he saw things and he was detailed about the way he wanted things to be. And man, he created an empire. He did things that other people said couldn't be done because he imagined it. That's a man that as far as I know is without God. What can you do with the Holy Spirit? I tell you, most people are shooting at nothing and hitting it every time. You need to raise your sights. You need to look a little further down the road. You need to start believing God for some things. And some of you have had big dreams, but life just beats it out of you. You go through a divorce, you go through a... Uh, you know, being fired at your job through being laid off through a recession, something happens and most people just let life choke these dreams. But you know, when I minister on this, invariably there are people that have had dreams for decades. You've had things that you really believe God wants you to do, but you just won't indulge yourself. You won't dream. You're afraid of it. You would rather stay safe and live dissatisfied, not fulfilled, and be safe than to run a risk. Well, it's just like I taught the other morning about the four lepers. How long are you going to sit there till you die? Are you going to let these dreams just languish and not do anything with it? I'm telling you, I I pray that God builds a holy dissatisfaction in you to where you are willing to do whatever it takes to see these things on the inside get out. God has put dreams and visions and miracles on the inside of me. And they aren't just for myself, they're for other people. God wants to use me to touch other people. And if I don't run the risk and do something, other people are going to miss their miracle because of my fear. And I'm just determined not to do that. When I die, when I'm gone, if the Lord doesn't come back in my lifetime, I want to empty myself of every dream that God ever put in me. I don't want to have anything undone. I want to be able to say with Paul, I've run the race, I've finished my course, I've done what God called me to do and I did not leave anything undone. There are many of you that have lots of dreams that you're just letting languish for fear of all of these other things and I'm telling you, that's the wrong way to live. If you aren't living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Amen. You need to get out there on the the limb. That's where fruit grows, is out on the limb. Most people want to hug the trunk. You need to get out there on the limb where you're swaying in the breeze. Amen. That's where the fruit is. Take a chance. Get out there. And so what if you fail? You fail forward. I believe God would be more proud of you to try and do what He's put in your heart and you fail than to sit there and disobey because you're fearful that it might not work. I believe God would say, well done. At least you went for it. Amen. Amen. Amen? Amen. So Father, I just speak this word over all these people and I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would help us to understand how You created us, how this imagination works. And Father, I pray especially for those who have had dreams and you've spoken things to them and they feel passionately about some things that they're supposed to do and yet they aren't progressing. They aren't moving in that direction for fear, looking at things. They see themselves as a failure. They, Father, I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit lights a fire on the inside of them that people would go to dreaming big. Father, I pray that all of the potential that is in this room tonight, would somehow or another be released. That Father, everything you've spoken to every person in here would be released. Father, I know it would transform families. It would transform communities. It would transform businesses. Father, I believe we've got enough potential in this room to literally transform this nation to cause a supernatural move of God, a revival. Father, I just speak freedom. I loose these people from small thinking that people would start using their imagination to see things. Father, for those who have never had a clear vision about what it is that you want them to do, I'm asking that tonight they would just open up their heart and let you start putting dreams in their heart, that they would see these things coming to pass. Father, I pray that you would give people vision that you would start light a fire on the inside of them tonight. Thank you, Father. Father, we agree and we receive this. We thank you for it. Praise the Lord. You know, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me right now that there's some of you that have let your vision die. You know, last night I ministered to people who had gotten out of the ministry, but there's many other visions. You, you not everybody's going to be behind the pulpit. God could have given you a vision of being your own boss starting your own job, moving to some place, doing something. Maybe you got some talent that you've never tapped. You just did what was necessary to make a living, but man, your desire is to you know, make things or to do something or to be an artist. There could be a million different things in here. But if you've had a vision and you really believe that God has put something in your heart and yet you've let circumstances or people talk you out of it. I I want to minister to you tonight and I want God to just rekindle that desire on the inside of you. You need to make sure it's God and not just your own flesh. But for those of you who know that God has called you to do something, God's put something in your heart and you've let circumstances, people or whatever, stop you from doing it. And yet tonight you're ready to reactivate it and make a commitment. I want you just to stand right where you are and I'm going to pray for you and believe that this vision Burns so big on the inside of you that you aren't going to be able to leave it alone. You know, if you've understood what I've said and if you're responding properly to this invitation, this is amazing how many people are standing. No wonder that you aren't satisfied. No wonder you feel that there's something more because you aren't pursuing what God's really put in your heart. I'm telling you, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is the real deal every day that we don't pursue what god called us to do it's a day wasted you need to make a decision that praise god you're going to go out of here and you're going to start doing something even if it's wrong do something lest you do nothing take a step in some direction anybody else father i pray for all of these thank you for people who humbled themselves tonight And Father, for whatever it is that you've put in their heart, they're saying that they know that you've called them to do more than what they're doing. And Father, right now, we come against the fears, against the circumstances that hinder them from doing things. And we just say in the name of Jesus that everything has to bow its knee before the Lord Jesus and before this will that he's given. Father, in the name of Jesus, we release your power right now to flow into them, and I believe that the fire of God... We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net, Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.